Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're live on Voice America, the empowerment channel, trying our best to get onto Facebook tonight, and it's just not happening. So anyway, we will upload the video later. I'm here with two very interesting, very creative people, and we're going to be talking about getting what you want out of life creatively. We're going to be speaking with Cindy Watson and Lindley Baker. They're both really smart. They're both professionals. They have such great backgrounds and so much information to share with us. But before I let them tell us about themselves. What we want to do is we want to have us all on the count of three say hello to LLL. So ladies, join me. One, two, three. Hello, LLL. L. There you go. A little more enthusiasm. Let's do it again. Hello. L-L-L. There we go. LLL is lovely. Lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. She lives in Whitestone. We're taking up a fund to get her to London, and we've been talking about it for two years, and we still didn't get her to London, but one of these days we will. So I'm going to stop trying to go live on. Let me try one more time on Facebook here and see if we can get it going. Lots of bandwidth and upload problems today. So read my lips. Cool conversations with creatives. We talk about what creativity means to you, to your life, to your family, to your friends, to your job, to your career, to your dreams and hopes, your wishes. And what is it? Is creativity having, oh, I have French toast on Sunday and Saturday and I have Rice Krispies on Monday through Friday and I'm a creative person about, I don't think so. I think it's a little deeper than that. So what I'm going to do is read you a little tiny bit about each of my guests and then we're going to have them add to their bios. Cindy Watson is an attorney. She specializes in a field I've never heard of, social justice law. She's the founder of Watson Labor Lawyers, and it's fancy because labor is spelled with a U like in England, L-A-B-O-U-R. It's a British labor. She's the founder of Women on Purpose. I like that. And the creator of the Art of Feminine Negotiation Programs. I'm not going to read anymore. Cindy Watson, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great and so glad to be here. And I love the work that you do on creativity. I think it is so important, Red. So You're very cool. I didn't know I was doing work. I thought I was just having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Cindy. And let's talk next to my guest, Lindley. It's L-I-N-L-E-Y. I I think people want to say it a whole bunch of different ways. Lindley Baker. She's a Wharton School graduate. And get this, she was an actuary in the field of insurance. And she'll tell us what that is. Something to do with numbers and how long we're going to live, I think. Think. I'm, I'm living an awful long time here, especially when the show doesn't go live. It feels like life is extending <laughs> on its own. She left her job to raise, get this, six children for 19 years in four countries. Then that alone deserves applause and accolades, and that must have been very creative, Lindley. Then during that time, it wasn't enough that she was moving around the world and helping her kids and getting everybody on track. She earned a Master of Music Performance degree, and then she decided to go back to work in her profession. She ended up becoming, in five years, a full vice president of the company she was in, and she believes in unconventional career paths. I'm with you on that, Lindley, because I've had one, too. She founded her own company called Linflu. L in front of the word influence, and she's the author of Don't Be Afraid to Do What You Really Want to Do, Reach All Your Life Dreams. Welcome. There we go. I have the book. Thank you. Lindley Baker, welcome. How are you today? 
Oh, it's awesome to be here. I, I love your energy and just, I love it when people try to make the world a better place. I didn't know I was working in creativity and I didn't know I was make, trying to make the world a better place. So thank you both. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I do. I met both of these lovely ladies at a recent national publicity summit, which I'm glad went virtual this past year or so during COVID. I used to be in New York about a 25-minute train ride from Manhattan from Penn Station, and I was there twice a year in person at the Hotel Penn or the Penn Hotel, whatever you call it these days. And uh and now I get to do it at home. It's a five-hour Zoom session, but well worth it because I get to meet really interesting people like both of you. So, Cindy Watson, why don't I put this on speaker view for a couple minutes? Why don't you add to the story? How did you get into law? What is social justice law? Why did you start your, your law firm? And what is this power of negotiation we're going to be talking about today? Officially, welcome to Read My Lips, Cindy Watson. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. And I love that both Lily and I have sort of traditional careers that people would assume are very boring and the opposite of creativity between an actuary and an attorney. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those, I think, for a lot of people, when I was young, I was a total creative, loved to sing, loved to dance, loved to write, you know, loved to act. You know, I remember in elementary school writing a play that we performed at Christmas. And then you end up doing what's expected, right, as so many women in particular do, I think. And, you know, I did well in school, so I ended up pushing to get those high grades, you know, from straight A's from high school to university to law school. And social justice law is mostly just advocating for underdogs. So I do a lot of discrimination work. I advocate for labor. The U is because I'm Canadian. So if I say A, please forgive me <laughs> in advance. And um, But I, I, I felt a little trapped at some point. I, I loved what I did, but I recognize that even with that, I felt that so many women in particular were not really stepping into their purpose and passion. So I founded Women on Purpose and recognized that all of life is a negotiation. And so many people either overcompensate as I did, my clients called me the Barracuda, or step back from negotiating, seeing it about conflict. So I dug in and am helping women sort of leverage their power through what I call the art of feminine negotiation, using those feminine traits that actually get you better results. So that's a little about me. I like that. And, and tell me something. Are there more and more women in the law field today, Cindy? Are you finding that it's a profession where women are accepted, welcomed, appreciated? Uh, is, are the doors open more than they were years ago? Oh, it's funny you ask that. We've got a long way to go. There are definitely more women getting into law. We've got about 51% of law school students and calls to the bar are women as compared to men now. But women are leaving the practice of law at double the rate of men, which suggests we still have a long way to go. There are some big problems there in terms of that equality and work-life balance. Thank you for that. The reason I asked is I remember my, my mom passed away almost four years ago and she was 100. And I remember in her 60s, she had a friend who was an early lawyer, a woman lawyer. And it was interesting that this woman, uh, Gertrude, I can't remember her last name. She was very formal. Even when she was retired, she wore a blouse with ruffles and she carried a leather handbag and a briefcase and yeah. beautiful suits, very tailored. And I remember thinking Gertrude was one of those women who had broken through some barriers. We're talking a long, long time ago. And I, I understood that it was very hard for her to to get into law. So I was just curious about that. Cindy, thank you. Le and I love women on purpose. <laughs> and people say, did you do that? Yeah, I did it on purpose. Why? I'm a woman on purpose. <laughs> we're we're going to play with that one. Lindley Baker, so impressed with what you've done. I want to know about the four countries, the 5,000 children and the 15 languages and all that. I'm 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 honoring you. I'm I'm not teasing you too much. So, Lindley, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you please do me the on? And we are recording this, so eventually the video will find its way somewhere. Lindy, Lindley, talk to me. 
Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here, Red. I had two main loves when I was growing up. One was music and one was math. And a lot of people say like they're totally different, but I found a common denominator in music and math with the timing of music, because if you don't follow the rhythm, then your music is a disaster. And so that's like a mathematical base that once you have it, then you can be creative beyond that and make beautiful music. But if you don't have that base, um, it won't be beautiful, creative music. So, so they were similar. I decided to go into math because I didn't know what my life would be like. And I knew it was easier to find a job in math than music. My dad told me when I was 15, if you want to work with math and apply it to something practical and you don't wanna be discriminated against, be an actuary. And innocent wow. little me said, why would anybody discriminate against me? Even though I read the newspaper every day and there were separate columns for the want ads for the men and the women. And seriously, Lindley? In the, in the wow. 70s, yes. <laughs> I didn't remember that. Wow. Yeah. Keep, keep talking. And so, but he said they don't care if you, you know, what gender you are. They just care if you can do the math. And so, so I got into that and I, and I absolutely loved it. And as a, as a young actuary, I got into the creative side of making new life insurance policies. So you decide like what features to include and how do you make the numbers work? And it, it involves creativity to balance, you know, the company's need for, for probability and solvency versus marketing need to reach the people. And you try to come up with the, the best solution. So I just really loved that. Um, when I was 24, I decided that well, I'd just given birth to my second son. They were just exactly a year apart. And I decided I wanted to spend more time with my children. So I resigned my job. And that was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I, I stuttered. I said, terminate. That was the only time I ever terminated. And he stuttered in my adult life because it was like what I loved. I was leaving with something that I loved. but. I was really happy to be able to spend the time with my children that I wanted to. And yes, it's, it involves a lot of creativity to figure out how do you live life all year long with just what you brought in your suitcases in August. And like, if we wanted to have a Cub Scout meeting in February and we wanted brownies for dessert, then there were brownies in my suitcase in August and nobody ate them <laughs> until... <laughs> <laughs> until February. So yeah, it involved a lot of planning and balancing and prioritizing. And I just jumped in and tried to learn the culture and enjoy the new experience in the country <clears throat> where we were. So we went to uh, Japan first and then China. And then after a few years back in the States, we had four years in France. And so it was just really cool. And I wanted to make friends in those countries. Therefore, I studied the languages so I could talk to them. Nice. Absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm still trying to get us live on Facebook and it keeps timing out, so I'm not going to try anymore. We're just happy to be here on Voice America, but I'm, I'm recording it and we'll all upload it somewhere afterwards. Absolutely fascinating. I have to ask you, Lindley, what took you to Japan? Why? 
What was was it a, a a family business thing? Was there a relative there? Why Japan? I married a guy who had been a missionary to Japan, <clears throat> so he was fluent in Japanese, and he became an engineer. And so he was hired by a company that sent him to Japan to find out what the Japanese engineers were doing better than the American engineers. So you took your children and you went to Japan. Yeah. Wow. Very, very interesting. You know, there's there's been, and, and Cindy, you probably of all people are very aware of this, uh, if if a husband or a man of the house or, or one partner, I'm just going to keep it wide open for who we are and where we are in life today. One partner has a job opportunity. Does the other one give up? their job or their home or their comfort zone to go and follow, follow the sun is when a business has a customer service around the, around the sun. When one office closes, they go to the next, but to follow the sun, literally, I'm thinking of the the symbol for Japan. Uh, very, very interesting. Did you have any trouble deciding to go? It sounds like quite an adventure, Lindley. It was, it was a great adventure. One thing was I, I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with my time there. Like before I went, so I got pregnant <laughs> <laughs> Thought, well, that's creative. Might as well have another kid. <laughs> Literally and, creative, yes. <laughs> yeah, so like uh, four months after we got there, I, I gave birth to him, and he was my fourth son. And so it was, it was actually pretty crazy having four little boys, six and under, in a foreign country. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I used to, I said that was creative, and I realized you were creating life. Yeah. Cr- creative. And, yes. and so you went five months pregnant, you moved to Japan. Yep. I think you need the Mother of the Year Award for, for, for multiple years now. Very, very interesting. Wow. Um, let us let me do a little bit of housekeeping here now that we found out who both of you are. And I, I'm really sorry about the go live. I was really counting on it. Today is Monday, June 21st, 2021. And in case anybody's interested besides me, I have some celebrity birthdays. But let's see where my notes are here. This is the what day of the year is it? It is the, uh, I don't even know what it is. Oh, it's the, okay. There are 193 days left in 2021. And Cindy and Lindley, that means if you want something special to drink for New Year's Eve going into 2022, because we didn't know what 2021 was going to bring, right? We thought, OMG, it might be the same as 2020, and we'd still be paddling and not getting anywhere. So if you want anything, is only 193 days left. That means if you're going to be making Kahlua in your sink in the garage, <laughs> you should start now so it really tastes really, really mellow. If you're going to start a still in the backyard or in the bathroom, tub in the guest bathroom and you're going to be making whiskey or gin bootleg, you should start soon. If you're going to order something from an online liquor store, wine, or art, you know what an RTD is? It's it's not a disease. It's ready to drink cocktails that come in little cans now and you just yeah. pour them over ice. And I had a guest on one of my business radio shows who has an RTD company and he sent me five little little right. cans of, oh, just wonderful cocktails. And I, I can't wait. He sent me a little cup with the branding on it. It's very nice. So anyway, it's time to think about New Year's Eve already. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> Uh, also, I have to tell you that this is the 172nd day of the year in the Gregorian calendar. We always say thank you to Greg Gregory or Greg, whatever his mother called him, because we like his calendar. And I'm the only one who cares, but I think it's the 25th Monday of the year. And I don't know why, but I put that down every week. Right. So there we go. Let's do a couple celebrity birthdays. These are people I I thought, well, I know some of them. I didn't put the whole 500 people who have birthdays today who are famous in some part of the universe. But let me see the ones. Anybody remember Jane Russell, the actress? Yeah. You've heard Jane Russell's birthday was today. I don't have a date of death, but she was born in 1921. I'm sure she's long gone. Uh, Chris Pratt, 
young actor in the U.S. His, his birthday today, born in 79, Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, His <laughs> Royal Highness, Prince William of Wales, okay, the Earl of Strathern and Baron Carrick Fergus in the United Kingdom, that's William, his birthday is today. He was born in 1982, so that makes him 21 plus 18, was he 39? Okay, I can... Lindley, I can do that much you in my head. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I, I will tell you a story about that in a second. Doug Savant, who was on, um, what was he on? Desperate Housewives. He was one of the husbands, Doug Savant. He's done a lot of TV what? work. Actor, born in 1964. Maureen Stapleton, a, a staple in, in movies years ago. Ju- Judy Holiday, she's long gone. but she. And if you, you saw the TV show, which stopped for COVID, and I'm hoping they come back billions. It's based on the story of Preet Bharara, and it's a, a, a DA in New York who's against a guy who's a hedge fund manager, and the actors is Damian Lewis and uh, Paul Giamatti, oh, and they are phenomenal together. Maggie Siff is the... Wife of Paul Giamatti, or, or not so much anymore, and she is a psych- industrial psychologist who works in the office, and she does psychology counseling to people, but she's a lot more than that. Maggie's an interesting actress. And Carrie Preston is born today. She is the wife of the man who starred in, um, uh, what was the, Person of Interest. I forget his name, uh, Michael something. And Carrie Preston is... Crazy redhead, and she was brought in to do some guest spots on Person of Interest, and she's in a lot of shows, and she always plays a very wild person. She's on a lot of legal shows as a very unorthodox lawyer. So happy birthday, Carrie Preston. Let's do a couple of famous holidays that you've never heard of, and you probably will never hear of them again. <laughs> but on my show, you do. Let's just get this out of the way, because I want to talk about creativity. Today is Monday, June 21st. Tell me what you're going to be celebrating, Lindley and Cindy. Just raise your hand. I can see you on Zoom, even though our audience can. Uh, it's International Yoga Day. Either one of you do yoga? Yes. Okay. Not as much as I should. Uh, and I wish I could, so I'll put my hand down there. It's <laughs> National Selfie Day. You have to promise me you'll take a selfie today at some point. Okay. okay. I already yeah. did before the show. When I get dressed up, I take a selfie. It's Go Skateboarding Day. Do either one of you skateboard? Not happening. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Me neither. I have trouble walking across the room. It's Smoothie Day. I had one for breakfast. Banana, a little bit of agave, a little ice cube, and uh, 1% milk. Uh, nice. I'll take some uh, of that. Okay. Yeah. What kind do you like, Lindley? I like like banana and vanilla and other Ooh. fruits. Yeah. Oh, nice. I put some frozen strawberries and blueberries in sometimes. I don't go for the green leafy vegetables in a smoothie. That just doesn't do it for me. But a lot of people put kale in and spinach and good good for well, them. It's beautiful because you don't even taste it. That's, that's oh. the beauty of putting green <laughs> stuff in your smoothie. I have a little bit of fresh spinach. Should I put it in tomorrow Try morning? It. Try it. You'll be Okay, surprised. Cindy, I will. <laughs> It's, let's see, it's also the summer solstice. That means it's what, the longest, nice. su- longest sun of the year. It's World Day of Music. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. It's Seashell yeah. Day. <laughs> Susie collects seashells by the seashell. I remember something like that. It's Peaches and Cream Day. It's Take Your Cat to Work Day. And that's all the holidays for today. I don't know how we got Smoothie Day, Seashell Day, and Take Your Cat to Work Day, but it is. I would, would you ever consider taking – you're a labor lawyer, Cindy. Would you ever consider in, in advising people to bring their cat to work? No, not a good strategy. 
nothing. And there's no negotiation in that. But boss, yeah, really. You can't negotiate with a cat. A dog, maybe, but a cat, no. Well, I have to tell you, take your dog to work day. I think is later this week. So we'll talk about that. Tomorrow, June 22nd, is National Kissing Day and National Onion Ring Day. So, Lindley, do those go together? What do you think? Kissing and onion rings? Uh, no, no. Onions usually taint your breath. <laughs> there, you, there you go. They might be very healthy for you, though. I took half of a, uh, gut, a cut Vidalia onion, a sweet onion, that was, I didn't use it in time, basically. And it was going, ah, in my refrigerator. So I cut the bottom half off, and I stuck it in my front garden. It is now an onion plant with four stalks that are three wow. feet tall with little white flowers on the top. And along the stem in the bulb, you can see a little knob that looks like it might be a scallion type of little onion. And the top with these little white buds, there must be like 50 little flowers. It's this big, the top, and it's all little white dots. And I leaned over and sniffed it this morning. It smells like onion. I love it. And people, the power of life, eh? I know. And people come by and they say, what is that plant in your garden among the rose bushes and the maple tree and all that? I say, it's an onion. They say, what? Yeah, it came from my fridge. What? Okay. So anyway, I'm happy for my onion, but I won't, I won't do that and then kiss somebody at the same time. Uh, Wednesday is National Hydration Day. It's Pink Day. I'm always pink oh, or red. <laughs> it's porridge day. Does anybody remember what porridge is? Lindley, do you remember what porridge is? Cindy does. Like breakfast cereal. It's oatmeal porridge. Yeah. It's uh, Wasn't it um, uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Yes. Your porridge is too hot and it's typewriter day. Does anybody still have a typewriter? Oh, I'd like to get a nice old typewriter for a showpiece. <laughs> there you go. I think I think you could probably find them in, I don't know, Goodwill or maybe yeah. they're so collectible they wouldn't even have them. There. They probably cost <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, Thursday is National Pralines Day. That's a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. Could be good. Welcome to New Orleans. And this is an odd, yes, and this is an odd one. Thursday is work from home day. Now, I thought since, Mar- <laughs> thank you, since March of 2020, yeah. every day is work from <laughs> home day. Okay. Friday is an interesting day. It's National Anthony Bourdain Day. You know, he took mm-hmm. his life about two years ago. I watched his show traveling around the world, eating food in all kinds of interesting places with interesting people. I don't think anybody is quite replaced him yet, although they have tried. It's Global Beatles Day. I don't know why, but that's the day, June 25th, when music lovers from around the world celebrate the original Beatles, Paul, John, Ringo, and George. And they are considered the unparalleled kings of pop music, basically, for what they've done. So Beatles Day is Friday. Take your dog to work day. Cindy, that's the day. Are we going to negotiate that? That you can negotiate. I'll give you a big green light for that one. (laughs) Lindley, in the actuarial field, would you be allowed to bring a dog to work? Maybe if it was national, bring your dog to work day. Uh, oh, you're good. That was really good. And it's also Day of the Seafarer. So you could send your dog on a little ocean trip while you're at work. I don't know. The day, It gets really easy after this. Saturday the 26th is National Chocolate Pudding Day. Mm. Have any of you tried to make homemade chocolate pudding from scratch? No. Yeah. It's easy and it's delicious. It's cornstarch and dry unsweetened cocoa and a little bit of sugar and milk. And you make uh, a powder out of the cornstarch, the cocoa and the sugar. And then you add and a little bit of cornstarch. I think it's about a tablespoon and the cornstarch thickens it. You pour the milk in cold and then you put it over a stove on, on a stove and a, a 
a pretty solid pan and then you wait, you stir, stir, stir with a wooden spoon and you wait for it to bubble and then you let it cool and it does that wonderful little film across the top like when you use the Mighty Fine brand and it's delicious. You can make it as chocolatey as you want, as sweet as you want. It's great with fresh whipped cream or Cool Whip or vanilla ice cream. I've never done it, of course. I'm just imagining. Okay, I'm but trying to find caramel pudding. Do you remember you used to be able to get Jello, the hot caramel pudding, on the stove top, no. and it has been continued for decades. And I You're love kidding. that. I've never. Well, we have to tell the Jello people to get very creative. Yes, we don't want to be traumatized over our lack of caramel Jello. I've never heard of it. Saturday, Sunday is National Bingo Day. And sunglasses day. I think you wear your cool sunglasses when you play bingo and that way you can't see the board and maybe you'll win anyway. <laughs> and Monday, next Monday, I have to announce this because I'm not on till evening and, and people need to celebrate. This is shocking. It's National Tapioca Day. Does anybody remember making tapioca with a little- I made tapioca pudding last week. Did you? Wow. And, yeah, and wow. what do you put in it? You made it with eggs on the stovetop and yeah, milk- yeah. And you can still buy the little box, comes in a yeah, little box. Yeah, I get box. the boxes. Yeah, and I, I put in two eggs instead of one, so to make it more protein. And, and do, you, do you whip the egg whites and then fold them in at the end? I didn't. I just stirred all the wet stuff together at the beginning. Uh, I think what I used to do is you separate the eggs, you cook them with the yolks, and then you whip the egg whites, maybe a little tiny dab of cream of tartar so they get really stiff, and then you fold them in when it's starting to cool, and it's... <gasps> It's like a cloud. I'm sorry, I'm hungry. What can I tell you? Okay, ladies, and that's it for the holidays. You have played along beautifully. I'm very appreciative. So let's get down to, let's get down to, I, I want to talk to Lindley. There's a, a rumor, it's a joke actually, that uh, a, an actuary is an accountant who doesn't have a, or can't tell a joke or doesn't have a sense of humor or something like that. I had a, a friend who was an accountant, a CPA years ago, and I asked him to come to the radio station WGBB on Long Island. I was doing a show. It was rainy. I didn't want to drive alone. He came with me and I said, you're going to tell some jokes on the air. And he said, I don't know any. I'm a CPA. <laughs> so I gave him, I gave him a bunch of jokes. To read. So do those two go together being a mathematician and, and having a sense of humor? Lindley, tell me the truth. Well, the actuaries tend to be introverts, similar to accountants. So the way I tell the joke is an actuary is someone who wanted to be an accountant, but didn't have enough personality for that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a little harsher than mine. Okay. So, so tell me something. If somebody out there wanted to be a, an actuary as a profession, would they have to be a great math student starting early on? Is this something you can go to school for and not be, hey, I've done math on, in my head since I was a year and a half old and I could calculate the family budget when I was four and I did my dad's taxes <laughs> when I was six. You know, young Sheldon, he does that on the show. Anyway, uh, how, how much background do you have? I, I was a very strong math student as well, Lindley, when I was very young. And I'll tell you a story that I was going to tell you, but not right now. So what what kind of personality do you need as an actuary? Can you just be a, oh, he's going to hate me for this, just a, a normal everyday person and really focus that much on numbers? What do you think? Well, there are all sorts of personalities among the actuaries. Some are extroverted. They just have the reputation of enjoying sitting in a corner by themselves doing calculations. And so, and some of them, you know, there's some people that they just want to do that their whole career, but a lot of people enjoy moving up and through management and even to other parts of insurance companies or whatever organization they work for. So like at MetLife, they had 25% of their actuaries were in senior management, 25% in 
in middle management, 25% as professionals and 25% as what we call student actuaries. The people that are doing the simpler stuff, kind of uh, being mentored along or apprenticed as they learn the ropes and gradually get qualified. Because you have to go through a series of 10 exams mm. that takes at least five years wow. to, to become a fully certified actuary. And they're, they're, the first one, when, it, they don't give this one anymore. But when I was there, it covered all of college calculus plus linear algebra. Oh. And then you have nine more exams. So it's so you don't have to be super brilliant at math, but you definitely have to have some capabilities and you have to really like it because you're going to spend a lot of time with it. Very, very interesting. And I want to ask you, and I will tell you the story finally. Uh, I have a degree in psychology, magna cum laude, and I got married right, when did I get married? Right after school and um, found myself on the other side of the country in Eugene, Oregon. And the marriage wasn't working. He wasn't working, basically. And I said goodbye, and I needed to raise money to take care of my two children. I didn't want to trot home to New York and say, Mommy, Daddy, take care of me and my kids. So I stayed. And I went back to school to a community college. So my graduate degree is two associate degrees from a community college after a full-time bachelor's degree. And I got a degree in computer programming and computer operations, which today I know qualifies me as an early woman in tech, because we're talking in the late 1970s. We're talking COBOL on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 computer, and we're talking PL1 on an IBM 4341. I still have the handbooks. I still have the green bar paper. I don't (laughs) don't have pictures of the key punch cards, but it was that far back. No, I wasn't I wasn't uh, Grace, whatever her name was, who uh, who started the COBOL language, but Dr. Grace Hopper. No disrespect, Grace Hopper. Thank you. I forgot your last name. But anyway, uh, what I was going to tell you was when I was at the community college, I took a course in business statistics, Lindley and Cindy, and all the men, it was all guys in the class, and we were in our 20s, people in their 30s. They were going back to school in many cases. This wasn't a community college where most of the kids were 17, 18, or 18, 19, who didn't go to real college, four-year college. This was, some of them had retreated after to get a different degree after dropping out of med school or dropping out of law school or architecture school. So we had a lot of people who were coming back to figure, who am I? What do I want to do? So I took this business statistics class and I used a pencil and figured everything out on paper. And all the men in the class, I think, had slide rules, which were allowed. Now, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have that kind of calculator. So you couldn't bring that kind of thing to class. So I figured everything out. And I got a perfect 4.0 in the class. And I ate every exam and every homework assignment. And they were really pissed at me. (laughs) (laughs) They said, who in the blank do you think you are? You know, I was a 20-something-year-old young divorcee with two kids. And they said, who are you coming into this class? And you're using a pencil and you're doing real math? Who do you think you are? Oh, they were so mad. Me. And anyway, That's I, I, I love I love to tell that story. So they hired me right out of school to run a whole computer system for the statewide community college yeah. system after that. So I stayed there for several years. But anyway, just interesting. So I, I remember that. But Lindley, computer programming, everybody said, oh, you got to be good in math. No, you had to have a logical mind. You had to be mm-hmm. able to say, I used to have a consultant in Salem, Oregon, who would call me up and say, okay, 
get out a big piece of paper, legal pad, and draw a line across the top, draw a line down the left side, and draw five columns across and six columns down. And I'm going to tell you what the headers are. Now go program it, write the code, and make the report. And that was how I got my, and I still have it written down on a piece of paper. I still have the paper with the specs all written in pencil on a big piece of paper. But you had to, as you said, Lindley, you had to be able to focus. You had to be able to spend time getting from that blank piece of paper, the tabula rasa, if you will, the Latin for our brains are supposedly brought empty. And you had to be able to make it happen because you could see what the outcome was and you had the wherewithal with the, the language and the syntax to get there. You were solving a puzzle. And so everybody said, oh, you got to be good at math. No, you didn't mean to be good at math. Cindy, what special skills are, are you, do you need for the kind of law that you do? Is it the same kind of focus and concentration? Yeah, it's funny. I think the LSATs don't really properly prepare people to be good advocates. I think the kind of people mm. that come in uh, to law school aren't necessarily people who are going to make the best advocates. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big advocate that you need a healthy dollop of street smarts. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in a low rental apartment in a pretty tough neighborhood. So I think I had some of that despair. Um, but it's that ability to think outside of the box, I think, is what distinguishes really great attorneys from the rest, right? Not just that academic nose in the book, but, and also a bit of performance, to be honest, Red. Like, I remember, you know, when I first started arguing, and like you were saying, I was that young 20-something, you know, fresh out of, and, you know, I bought into the myth that you had to get a little scrappier to have your voice heard in that, but I would often call on personal examples, and, you know, I saw opening statements and closing statements as a bit of a performance. Uh, You know, I, Mm -hmm. you know, brought a little pizzazz to the table, and and it would throw off the other side, because lawyers always had that sort of button-down, very serious kind of approach to the law. So I think that was something actually that gave me a bit of a leg up. And I encourage anybody who's thinking about the practice of law to really make sure you develop those skills to think outside the box, right? Come up with those creative solutions. Look for the different angle, right? Not just the the thing that hits you in the straight out of the gate. Isn't that interesting? So creativity. And I when you watch courtroom dramas, ladies, oh. don't you think the ones who were the best, those opening arguments, those closing, aren't they performing? And I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way. I don't yeah. mean that in a negative way. You are trying to negotiate, even if it's one-sided at the time because the jury's not talking back to you. You're negotiating emotionally with people who are about to make a decision, and you're trying to sway them. We're going to talk about negotiation in a second, Cindy, but and the definition of what it means. But you really are performing as an advocate for the benefit of your client, good, bad, innocent, or guilty, yeah. right? To a group of people you barely know, and you're trying to convince them of what the outcome should be to benefit that person you're representing. Isn't it really that simple? Yeah. And you want to catch their attention right out of the gate. And I think this is where so many lawyers make a mistake. Like I come in with a, you know, I I want to hook right out of the gate to catch the attention because people, I find even adjudicators, people go, oh, well, judges, you know, baloney. And my experience, I practiced for 30 years. And I got to tell you, they make their initial decisions within those first few minutes, I think, of hearing what the argument is. So make sure you present and capture that argument in a way that's as human, as compelling as possible. 
Isn't that interesting what you just said? Now, do you watch both the Michael Weatherly show? I do, yes. What do you think about uh, their company is TAC? It's trial, uh, it's, it's what is it, trial? um, They're getting into the emotions of of the jurors and they have a mirror jury and they're trying to figure, and and they do a full background profile on each of the real jurors and they can tell from their body language, their eye contact, their movements, everything, their facial expressions. It's like a microburst reading type of a thing. If they're with us or against us, so we have the green light or the red light. Interesting. What do you think of that, Cindy? Yeah, I love the show. Um, and that is a real thing, actually. In the U.S. in particular, I mean, big money gets paid for those kind of jury um, evaluating firms out there that purport to do it. But I don't know if you remember, what was the name of that show with Jimmy Smith when he made his big The Law show? L.A. Law. L.A. Law. I think that L.A. Was it. Law. Yes. And I don't know if you remember that episode, though, where they had hired the big fancy consulting company to come in and do all that mirror jury thing long before the bull show was out. And then Jimmy Smith came as the underdog and gave his argument and all the stats went out the window because ultimately you can't account for human reaction. Right. So, I mean, I think there's something to be said for looking for backgrounds in that. But sometimes people get swayed by the things that you would least expect, something that resonates. We all have triggers and so much of it bubbles below the surface. It's like an ice right? What you see is just that tip of the iceberg. And really the thing that moves the dial most is that stuff that's percolating underneath the surface. And you've got to find a way to tap into that vein to be able to switch those mindsets. TAC, Trial Analysis Corporation. There you go. I just looked it up. TAC. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. That much, (laughs) that much didn't. It's a jury consulting firm. Very interesting. Lindley, what about, this is an interesting question. I'm going to ask you numbers. People say numbers don't lie, but people lie about numbers, and I'm not going to get into statistics and moving things around and facts and deep fakes and all that. But um, is there any such thing as creativity in, in being an actuary in terms of being creative with the numbers, manipulating, or is that cook? I'm getting in territory I shouldn't, but cooking the books, uh, you really can't get creative, can you, Lindley, or can you? Well, well, because of our standards of professional conduct, then we can't be creative in a malicious way, mm-hmm. but. We can be creative in, for example, how we prepare for like life insurance claims. Let's say we expect, we sell to people in their 30s, we expect a few people to die in their 30s and a few more each decade. And when they're in their 90s, we expect most of them to be gone before they're 100. And so we can work with our investment planning and how we time different benefits throughout the policy to make it more profitable to make it more advantageous for the customers and things like that. That's where the creativity will come in, but we can't, we're not allowed to use, uh, use the numbers to do something dishonest. Otherwise we would not be able to practice anymore. There you go. I, I hope I didn't offend you with my question. I was just, just trying <laughs> no, to okay. find, find out how creative and, and Cindy, going back to your point in the first couple seconds, first impressions count, right? And and they say humans now, because we're so bombarded with so many messages, subliminal and, and overt from social media, from advertising, TV, radio, whoever reads a newspaper anymore, rumor mills, what people are saying, social is a big influencer, obviously, right now. Uh, we're bombarded. And I understand we have about the attention span of, of a goldfish. Is it nine yeah. seconds or a squirrel is eight seconds, yeah. something like that. So if you don't get into the those first eight seconds. So do you think even after watching the the TAC, the Bull Show, Dr. Bull, do you yeah. think that a jury is really, they, they've each made up their minds or are they open to being swayed by advocates 
on the jury once that door closes and they're sequestered. Is there anything that's going to change anybody's mind in the jury? Yeah, no. I, I definitely think that they're, uh, and juries more so than adjudicators, I, I think, ironically, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, um, but I think juries are definitely open to being swayed, but it's that first impression. If you don't make that first impression right out of the gate, you've got that uphill battle to overcome throughout the entire rest of the trial. And it's funny when we talk about those first impressions, I just wanted to speak for a second to something that yeah. Lindley said that really resonated with me. You were talking about introverts and actuaries being introverts, and that really struck a chord because I, I just wrote an article for psychology today magazine about introverts versus extroverts in negotiating because people often assume that introverts are soft right and they're going to be a pushover and we so we are a very extrovert driven society and have been getting increasingly so and i'm guilty of that i mean i'm an extrovert but you know my daughter we we started late and made up for lost time had three kids in three years you know and my daughter is absolutely an introvert and it was an eye-opener for me a real perspective shift and I've researched and I read, um, you know, Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Um, and as I looked into it more, interestingly, introverts arguably have better qualities that equip them to be a greater negotiator than extroverts because they listen more effectively and they prepare more effectively and they tend to think before they speak. Whereas us extroverts, we're often formulating our thoughts on the fly as we're as we're talking and my worry, though, is that we, because we don't recognize, so I'm a kind of on a mission to reframe that because introverts have such valuable input, but they often get overrun because if you're in a business meeting, we don't leave the space to allow the introverts to be able to have, um, you know, to have their say. And that's something I'd love to see shift because I do think that we all could learn a lot, frankly, from introverts in terms of upping our negotiation strategies, particularly those active listening skills, which we are not very good of in our North American culture. No, we're not. Lindley, let's focus a little bit uh, on the whole idea of unconventional career paths. Now, you took years out to raise your family, then you went back to the actuarial profession. I started out as a programmer analyst back in the day, and I ended up in marketing back in New York for big banks and and real estate companies. And then I ended up almost accidentally in broadcast, TV and radio, and now internet broadcasting. So I think I'm on my fifth or sixth career path. And I consider this very unusual, very non-conventional. And I've created most of my skills along the way, my degree was psychology and then computer science, but I never use the psychology, although I use it every day with all the people I meet. <laughs> anyway, so, and I count backwards in French for the sound check. So there, yes. So much for going to Switzerland for, for a summer when I was, never mind how old. So question is, Lindley, Talk to us about, I know you're an advocate for unconventional career paths. What would you, I'm not asking you give advice to people, but what's your thought on changing your mind? Look, we are at a cusp now where the statistics, I don't know about in your profession, but the daily news bombardment says that people don't want to go back to work. They're changing their mind. Ah, I was home, I was schooling the kids, I was working with this company on Zoom or on team meetings or whatever, and I want to change my job. I want to change my, I don't want to go back to an office, I don't want to work remotely anymore. People are changing their minds. So what do you say, Lindley, in terms of being creative about your next career? What do you, what's your perspective on that, please? Well, one thing I tell people is to be unique, to listen to their inner core and not listen to the naysayers and not listen to like what everybody says. Like everyone would say, you can't leave your career for a generation and come back and be successful. 
right? I mean, that makes sense, but that's what I did. And, and then there was this day I was mentoring a, a new actuary, a lady, and she was expecting her first child. And she was saying, well, I, I'd, I'd kind of like to have two kids, but I'm sure I'll just have one because if I have two, it will ruin my career. And so I'm sitting across the table from her and I have six kids. <laughs> and I'm like, something doesn't commute, compute here. And so I realized like, she was also in this idea of society telling her, well, <clears throat> you need to follow this path. And I think Cindy, you also refer to it. It's, it's like doing things that everybody expects. And, and I think, I think it's more important for us to figure out what's going to work for us. As long as we have a financial foundation, then what we do after that <clears throat> is just to, to feed our spirits, to make the world a better place, to make it more exciting and fun. And so, so that's, that's my advice. And I, I my, I would say to people trying to figure out what to do next is, is that they can figure it out. In my book, I talk about you have to think about self-care, you have to think about finances, but you think about what you really want to do with your life, your big dreams. What do you want your eulogy to be about? And, and start to figure out how do you fit those in? Maybe even erect an antenna in your head, like a, a mental antenna to try to capture. If you love horses, you'll find out opportunities to go ride them or, or watch them or whatever. But if you don't have your antenna up, you'll miss those opportunities. So, so I would say like, don't jump into something like quitting your job or uh, do, doing something suddenly, but plan for it meaningfully with that long-term perspective. And then you can bring that creativity in to make your best life. Very interesting. Cindy, do you agree? Uh, I totally agree. That, that was one of the reasons that prompted me to start Women on Purpose, actually, Red and, and Lindley, because mm-hmm. I felt so many women had followed that expected path. And I'm yeah. all about find what, what lights you up, find something that you're passionate about and something that will make you feel like you're living your life on purpose and with purpose. I think it's so important. Very much. And, and whenever I get the chance, which is once in a, a blue moon, basically, oh, there's a blue moon tonight, I have to find somebody to mentor. <laughs> um, I, I tell them, don't be afraid to look for opportunities or to open the door or the window when something pokes in and say, wait a minute, what's that all about? It used to be back in the day, and there's a song, I don't know if either one you remember, it was by Tennessee Ernie Ford, and it was called 16 Tons. And the song was 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper oh. in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't come. I owe my soul to the company store yeah. or something like that. The oh. idea was that you, yeah, I know. Uh, it was a popular song. I, I heard it from the womb, so I, I wasn't alive then. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, the point is that it's about being a company man it used to be. And, yeah. and if you look in the lore, in the early literature from the 1800s, early 1900s, you'll see that a woman's job was at home was her job to be dressed pretty at the door when the husband came home tired from work and hand him the paper and the slippers and make sure the dog and the kids didn't bother him and have a dinner on the table. And that was it. And that was your job. Nobody ever called them household engineers. Nobody ever said, oh, it was a woman's work is never done from rising morning, early morning till rising till setting sun, something like that. But I think I lost my point. My my point was that um, women were supposed to be there doing that, and so I tell young women, I I uh, I, I came from a, I went to a really 
it was an elite college back in the day. It was women only, Sarah Lawrence College. And I was there a couple of years before my husband moved up to Harvard and I went, finished my degree at BU. So we moved from New Haven and New York up to Boston, Massachusetts, anyway, in Cambridge. But my point is that when I get a chance, if I, if somebody calls me from Sarah Lawrence and they're looking for a donation, I'll engage them in a conversation and ask, what are you planning to do? What are you studying? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And they'll say, well, I'm a major in this and a minor in that. And I say, well, make sure you keep your options open because you don't know the path that might come in your direction and you want to be able to take that path. You don't have to stay in a job forever anymore, right? And and I'm thinking as I'm talking to the both of you that opportunities are popping into our faces and our minds every day. Think of Pinterest. Go yeah. pin, find a pin. Oh, those people are making that. Maybe I'll do some woodworking on the side or some. I started painting a year and ago. I have 135 paintings in my house. I'd love to find a gallery and see if anybody wants to rep me yeah. because I'm running out of damn wall space. My garage is an art gallery now. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> There's so many, but I didn't know that I had any quote unquote talent as an artist. And I'm finding that my stuff is pretty darn good. It's very interesting and very, very interesting and very colorful, very creative. So I'm saying, tell people, don't close that door. Don't say, okay, I'm an actuary and I have to live with numbers and I can't be a good cook and I can't learn to sing and I can't go take an art class because that's all I can do so I can focus. Am I right, Lindley? You can do other things besides be a numbers person? Is that right? Right. I mean, you're going to be happier doing some of your avocations, things, you know, painting or whatever makes you happy during part of your life, even if you still like working as an actuary. And and if you've gotten bored working as an actuary no one says you you have to love it for 40 years maybe you love it for 20 and do something else and um i mean I, that's why i started my business linfluence it's to make the world a better place using my unique skills and so i i'm passionate about that and sharing with people that you can have an unconventional career and you can have a happier life and you can leave your career and you can come back or reinvent yourself and you're going to be happier and everyone around you is going to be happier too. Thank you, Lindley. Very well put. And do you find that uh, a lot of women who've left to be mothers, to be full or mostly full-time, part-time mothers are afraid to come back to their profession? Do they think that door slams shut on them when they walk away to be a full-time family caregiver? What do you see? Well, I think most people think they're leaving it forever when they leave. And then when they think they might want to come back, then they're afraid because they've been so detached. The The Wharton School has a theme for the Wharton, the women, let's say Wharton Women in Business. It's called Join, Stay, Lead. So join the workforce, stay in the workforce, lead the workforce. Mm. And I, I've kind of morphed that stay into something else because when I was raising my kids, I kept current somewhat by volunteering with the Society of Actuaries and teaching actuarial math at some colleges. And so in that way, I, I stayed somewhat and it was enough to convince the future employer that hired me that I was dedicated to being an actuary. And it wasn't something that I was going to try again after I got after my kids grew up and I needed something else to do with my life. If that had been my attitude, it wouldn't have worked. But then it is scary to go back, even if you're planning on it. I have a whole chapter in my book called Stupid Questions, because things changed in 19 years while I was gone. Imagine that. And I thought I shouldn't have to ask those questions, because if I had been working in corporate that whole time, I would just know. But so you have to be able 
figure out how to live with yourself, ask those questions, work a little bit harder just at that beginning to overcome that hump, and then you can enjoy your career again. So even though there's some fear, I would say, like, set it aside and, and go for it. Thank you. And I, I want to quote Cindy Watson from your book, Cindy. You say, these are different times. Yeah. I know that I said different, not difficult, not <laughs> challenging. And that's not because these aren't tough times for many of us. I choose to characterize these times as different because language matters. The words we use matter. The thoughts we choose matter. The meaning we give to those thoughts matter. I love the way you started the book off that way, Cindy. I thought that was very, very well put. I I am a, a fan of using language well, and I appreciated that you were saying that. And everybody's saying the next normal and the new normal. I just say yeah. it's it's the new reality, is that's what I call it. There's no such thing as normal anymore. It's it's just whatever the next reality is. It's it's here, ladies. I want to find out quickly. We're almost out of time. Josh gave me the three minute signal, which is about sixty seconds ago. So where can people <laughs> go to find out more about you, Cindy Watson? Give a website, please, or anything where people you can bet. find you. Yeah, definitely go to uh, www.womenonpurpose.ca. You can hear all about the art of uh, feminine negotiation and how to get more of what you want in life from the boardroom to the bedroom. W-O-M-E-N, women, O-N, on purpose, P-U-R-P-O-S-E dot C-A for Canada, not C-O-M. Okay. And Lindley Baker, where can people go to read more about you or find more about you? You can go to linfluence.pro. That's L, the word influence, and then dot P-R-O, it's short for professional. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Lindley Baker. So you can find me even on uh, Instagram and as Linfluence. Good. And Linfluence is dot pro is L, L, L and then the word influence, L-I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E dot P-R-O, correct? Good luck exactly. at that. Ladies, I have a couple of words of wisdom, and thank you for sharing yours. I really enjoyed speaking to the both of you. I have great respect for your professions and your commitments and your dedication and your wonderful use of language and your passion for what you do and your creativity. I think I've run out of wonderful things to say about both of you. <laughs> Shout out quickly to Josh, our engineer. Thank you, Josh, for getting us on the air and keeping yeah. us there. Bandwidth notwithstanding, it's been quite a day for me. Life is short. Break the rules. Forgive quickly. Kiss slowly. I'm telling you, there is no better way to kiss. Just slowly take your time. <laughs> Love truly, laugh uncontrollably, <laughs> and never regret anything that made you smile. And here's one more set. Work like you don't need the money, because I think we all still do. Dance like nobody's watching, but when I was teaching dancing to 250 people, they all watched, trust me. <laughs> sing like nobody's listening, and when I drum, they listen. When I sing, they walk away. And love like you've never been hurt, because we've all been hurt, so just get over it and move on. Money talks, chocolate and last but not least, and I stole this line from another radio show's host, thank you for turning me on, Cindy Watson. <laughs> thank you, Lindley Baker. Thank you. Don't go away. I want to take some pictures, ladies. Over and out, Radio Red. Bye-bye. See you next week. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio, presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.